Today we're talking about, um, I'm going to talk about the resurrection, but I'm going to talk about it from Luke 24. And that's a passage uh, that is about, it's called The Road to Emmaus. And it's an incredibly great story. And as I was looking at it, and I'm going to read it in a minute, but as I was looking at it, it made me think of something. It made me think of tricky movies, actually. Tricky movies in the sense that, like, there's these certain movies that you go through the movie and you're watching and, and scene after scene after scene, and you get to the very end of the movie, and at the very end, something happens that radically changes how you viewed the entire movie that you just watched. And it makes you go back and rethink everything. And maybe you, it's the kind of movie that makes you want to go back and watch it again. Because then when you watch it again, you realize, oh, that's what was happening. Oh, and that's what was happening. And that's what, oh, I get it. There's a, different, a lot of different examples. One of them, an older movie, is The Usual Suspects, I remember. Um, I haven't watched it recently, although it was a long time ago. And it's a movie like that where you're watching this movie and the police are grilling these different suspects and they're trying to figure out who did it. And it's right at the very end of the movie that you find out that the one, this is a spoiler alert, by the way, if you care about that. And at the very end of the movie, the guy gets let off and he goes walking away. And at the very end, they realize the police start looking on the wall and there's all of the different parts of the story were things that this criminal mastermind used. And so then you go back and you start watching it again. You realize, oh, and that was from that thing and that thing. And it all changes. Suddenly, everything changes about the story. Things are not as they seem to be. Things are not as they seem to be. And that's what occurs for these two disciples who are walking on the road and how Jesus comes and he totally reorients their view and it changes everything for them. Let's read it. It's Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. And I'm reading from the uh, NIV translation today. Chapter 24 verse 13 says now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem they were talking with each other about everything that had happened as they talked and discussed these things with each other Jesus himself came up and walked along with them but they were kept from recognizing him he asked them what are you discussing together as you walk along they stood still their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Good Jesus. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us what they'd, that they'd seen a vision of angels who had said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. He said to them, Jesus... How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost gone, almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen, appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is God's word. This is our story. Our resurrection story. And the story of uh, Emmaus Road is a story about coming the journey to faith, and I think it's the journey of faith as well. And I think it's tragic, and it's also beautiful. And I think the more that we engage and we go into this story and we, we eat there, there's so much to love about this story. And maybe for you, it will become a favorite like it is for me. My big idea this morning is that when we see Jesus clearly, everything changes. When we see Jesus clearly, everything changes. And again, like last week, my three points have to do with Jesus. Maybe this is a theme. Every point will have to do with Jesus forever. Jesus draws near, Jesus reorients us, and Jesus changes us. You know, I love this story as Jesus comes, he, he comes in disguise. And I kind of like that. I like that he's, he's incognito, he's, you know, undercover, and he approaches these people, and they don't recognize him. And I love the story. I really do. They don't love the story, though. They don't love the story. Now, different commentators have, have speculated on whether it's two men walking together, which is what I always pictured, two disciples. The word disciple, just for me, conjures up men. And different commentators have said, well, there's no actual gender reference there. So it could have been Cleopas and his wife, who were followers of Jesus. They're not the 11 or the 12. They are just followers of Jesus. So then I started thinking about that as I was, as I was praying about this, and I was like, wow, what if it was like Cleopas and his wife, and they were these, this young married couple, and they came and they found out about Jesus, and they decided they were going to sell all their stuff, and they are going to follow Jesus. They're going to be disciples of Jesus. And so they took all the eggs they had, and they put them in the Jesus basket. And now, suddenly, everything has gone crazy. Last week, we talked about that triumphal entry, how everyone was coming into Jerusalem and they were rushing to, to see Jesus riding on the donkey and they were cheering that Hosanna cry. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, we pray. And the, the, the belief was that Jesus was going to rescue them from the Roman occupation. And so everyone was waiting throughout the week. When's Jesus going to make his move? When's he going to do the revolution thing? And then suddenly, Jesus is arrested and he's condemned. And he's taken to the cross, and he's hung there as like a criminal between two thieves. And they watch him die. They watch him pierced. They watch his body come down. And basically for them, it's God failing. That's what it would seem like. God had failed. Their promises, all their promises turned to ashes in front of them. All their, their belief, all their hopes, cursed and killed in the person of Jesus. Darkness and the shaking earth. There's no angel army coming over the hill. 
There's nothing, just darkness. And then Jesus' lifeless body is brought down, and they watch it escorted by Roman guard to the tomb, and the stone put in front. And so dies their hope, really. And they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're leaving with lots of other people who are leaving. It's time to go. And they're walking away in the crowds, and they're leaving behind their hopes and their dreams and their, what they thought Jesus was going to be, their hope that Jesus would be the one. So the question comes, does God fail? Does God fail? Have you ever felt like God failed? Like he failed you? Maybe he failed to meet you or he failed to come through. Maybe you prayed for someone or yourself. You prayed for yourself to be healed and you didn't. Didn't happen. Or someone you loved and they didn't get healed. Maybe he was quiet when you needed to hear him. Or maybe he was still when you needed him to act. For us, this week, we wrestled this question. We have our friends, Tara and James. We prayed for them this morning. They're our close friends. They had four beautiful children. They had two little boys and then twin girls. Four kids. And then one morning a few years ago, two-year-old Sam didn't wake up. They call it crib death. When you can't explain why. When you have no reason why. And so we walked the grief of that journey through with them, the, still the grief, and working through that process. And six months ago, Tara became pregnant again. And then two weeks ago, we found out she was, the, the baby was battling with fifth disease. It's one of those that goes right through the immunity, right to the baby. And so we prayed last week. We were praying. We were hoping. We were asking for healing. And then on Tuesday, we found out they lost their second child. Man, the disappointment. I felt downcast this week. Disappointed, let down. I've seen the gathering clouds, the darkness. And I've wept through the confusion of why is this happening? What's going on? And I also know that dawn breaks and there's a new day. And Jesus shows up just when we need him most. And here he is on the scene. He doesn't come in visions of glory. He doesn't come with angelic choir. He's just this guy walking on the road. All these travelers are leaving Jerusalem and there's this guy who suddenly shows up next to them. And he starts asking questions. They're almost like dad questions, though, in a way, I find. Like, as a dad, I go into a room, I'm like, what's going on in here? We're just doing things. What things are you doing? Explain things to me. And there's Jesus walking on the road, and he says, what are you talking about? And they say, things. What? What do you mean? You don't know? Like, are you totally clueless? What thing? Were you just there? Everyone's talking about it. And Jesus says, what things? Like, he's being a bit playful, right? It seems like it. I mean, he's alive, so, you know, it's probably not unkind that he does this a little bit because he knows he's alive. But he comes listening, and he comes asking questions. And I love that about Jesus. Jesus comes and he says, tell me your story. Tell me your, what you saw. Tell me what you think you saw. Tell me your pain. Tell me your doubt. Tell me your disappointment. Because I've just seen all of heaven stoop to worship the risen king. So your doubt doesn't scare me. I just conquered death in Hades, so I'm not afraid of your questions. 
I'm not afraid. So let's talk. And he waits to reveal himself. He even waits as they're talking, and then he keeps talking. They don't know it's him for a long time. He waits while they share, and then he waits while they start to understand. So does God fail? This is what the Bible says about this. Joshua 21 verse 45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Were they happy? (laughs) Read that story again. They were not happy all that time. But God's promises were fulfilled. He came through on what he said he would do. Lamentations 3.22. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed in the midst of our difficulty or our trial. We're not consumed for his compassions never fail. God says, my compassion is here every time. It will never fail. Or Luke 1 verse 37 is Gabriel speaking, the angel who self-identifies himself as the one who stands in the presence of the living God. When Zechariah says, I don't know if I can believe what you're saying to me. Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God. And this is what Gabriel says, for no word from God will ever fail. This is what the Bible says about God, success or failure. And so I think we need to reorient ourselves. I think we need to be reoriented if we believe that our happiness and God's success are the same thing. We'll need to have our, our view changed, our perspective changed. And this is what happens for them. Cleopas and his friend or his wife or whoever that other disciple is, they tell Jesus their story. But it's their story. It's what they saw. It's what they heard. And this is what they say. They say, Jesus, he's this prophet and he's mighty indeed. He, he was delivered, condemned, and crucified. And we had hoped three days happened happen, and then all this weird stuff started going on. Women are claiming angelic visitation and, and people are going to the tomb and there's no one there. There's no soldiers. There's no stone. And we don't know what to do. We don't know what to make of it. This is what they saw. This is what they heard. This is how they describe back to Jesus the last few days, the last week. It's their summary. It reminds me of another story, a love story that I'd like to tell you. And uh, it's the day, it's about, it's my love story, actually. And it's about the day I asked Lauren to marry me. And on that day, we were at my parents' house for, for lunch. That is us. Not a stock photo there. And I was at, we were at my parents' house for lunch, and so uh, I was going to drive her back to North Vancouver for mission. And so we got in my Monza, which was an awesome car back in the day, V6. And we got in the car, and we were driving, and we drove along the highway back to North Vancouver. And just past Langley, between Langley and Surrey, the car broke down. And i described by Lauren as being very agitated. And I got out of the car, and I opened the, the hood of the car, which to her was funny because I don't, I don't do mechanics, so I would just be looking in there. There's an engine here. This is probably a problem. And I got back in the car, and then Lauren said, let's, let's pray because you seem really upset. And I was like, okay, fine, good idea. And so she prayed, and suddenly someone drove up behind us and stopped. And this is in the day we didn't have cell phones. And the people who stopped, we said, do you have a phone? They said, no, we don't have a cell phone. And this is a long time ago. And like two years ago, no. And so they said, we'll drive you to the nearest gas station. So we get in the car and we drive to the nearest gas station. And as we pull up to the gas station, there on the corner of the gas station lot is a car that's for sale, just like the kind of car 
I know I was going to replace the Monza, and it's almost sacrilege to say that, but I was. And I was looking for a Honda Accord, and there, there was a Honda Accord for sale. And so Lauren's like, look, this is why you broke down. There's the car right there. And I said, stop. I, I have to go call. So I called the tow truck, and I called my friend, and I was like, come get us. We we're in big, 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 big trouble. And I came back out, and then I looked at the car. And I said, well, this doesn't really look like the car we were trying to buy. And then the gas station guy came out, and he said, hey, like, uh, do, are you interested in the car? And we said, yeah. And so I gave him some money down. This is a long time ago. I gave him some money down, and I said, can I take this car to my mechanic? And he said, okay. So we got in the car, and I said, I'm going to drive you home back to North Vancouver in this car, and then I'll go to my mechanic. And she was like, okay, is that Okay. Yes, that's okay. So we got in the car, we drove to North Vancouver, and as we were driving, I said, let's go out on White Cliff, on the, out to White Cliff Park, our favorite place, and we'll drive along the, the country road, and there's, there's a storm. It's blowing. We drive out to the park, and there's an arrow, and it's made of tea lights that are blown out, but it's, there's an arrow, and so she's like, whoa, we got to get back in the car. What are we doing out here? I said, let's go look. There's a tent down there, and she said, whoa, we really got to get out of here. This is someone's special thing. I was like, no, like, I think this is our special thing. Come on. And we went and opened the tent. There was my guitar and two stools. And so I played her the song I wrote. And I gave her the ring. I got on my knee and I asked her to marry me. And then she said, yes. And I said, okay, there's all of our family and friends are back at this restaurant. Let's go back. So we got in the car and she fixed her makeup and drove back. And as we're standing in the restaurant, she was like, yeah, look at it. This is so great. And everything's so great. And do you know what? We got this car. John's looking at this car and we had broke down and as she started saying this people started looking at her funny out of the group that was listening and she said wait a minute what's going on and I said well actually this is my car I already bought it and she said well that's but the gas station guy what about him I said that was an actor I hired to be there and then she said but but our our Someone picked us up. I said, they're my friends. You don't know them, but I got them to pick us up. But the car broke down. I said, I installed a switch in the car to make it break down. And my brother was in the bushes hiding right there, and he called them to come pick us up at the right moment. And suddenly, she got very angry. (laughs) What happened was suddenly the whole day changed. All the events changed. All the people changed. Her view changed. What happened was suddenly the whole day became a love story about how much I loved her and what I was, lengths I was willing to go to to get to her, to get the surprise. <laughs> I don't necessarily recommend anymore. <laughs> but everything spoke of this. And you know, when Jesus comes to these disciples and he starts telling them another story, his story, the same thing happened, I think, that happened to Lauren. <gasps> Whoa! It blew her mind. And I think for these disciples, suddenly their mind is, they're, they're grappling with huge things. Something, a totally different story that changes everything for them. And it doesn't begin at the triumphal entry or even when Jesus arrived on the scene on earth. It begins at the foundation of the world. Jesus doesn't highlight a few passages, but I think he re-explains the Bible. The Gospel of John begins this way. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. He says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is how John starts his story. Because he got it. 
He says, the story doesn't start when Jesus shows up. The story started way, way, way before that. And Jesus walks these two people through a reorientation. And the other disciples and the other, all the other people, they get theirs at different points. In fact, a little later in the chapter. Where Jesus tells them, it's not about you. It's about God's glory. And this whole story has been about me the whole way along. I have a little video to, uh, to help you. Maybe, maybe this is what Jesus said to them. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. The story of Adam and Eve is not just about the first man and woman. There is a true and better Adam who passed the test in the garden and whose obedience is ascribed to us. There is a true and better Abel who, though innocently slain, has blood that cries out not for our condemnation, but for our acquittal. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Isaac the son of laughter, of grace, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for us all. There is a true and better Jacob, who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve, so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Joseph, who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power to save them. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better Job, the truly innocent sufferer, who then intercedes for and saves his foolish friends. There is a true and better David, whose victory becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther, who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. There is a true and better Jonah who was cast out into the storm so that we could be brought in. There is a true and better Passover lamb, innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so the angel of death will pass over us. He's the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true light, and the true bread. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. It's cool, huh? That's Tim Keller who uh, they take those, that w- those words from. You know, this new perspective that they're getting as they are reoriented, 
I think it changes them radically. I think they experience something where, where they move from a street view, if we could use the Google analogy, they're looking at a street view of what's going on, and then suddenly they're brought out and brought out and brought out till suddenly they can see the whole world. They see the whole story, the whole picture. And this thing, it means that Jesus hasn't lost, that Jesus has won. He's alive, even though at this point they're still being reoriented. They don't even know it's him yet. And my question for us is, what would it mean for us and our situation if God's, if the darkest day in history is actually God's greatest triumph? What does that mean? What does that mean for you and for me? Jesus draws near, and Jesus reorients us, and then Jesus changes us. We are changed as we experience that perspective shift. I love this, that Jesus, he seems playful. I, like, if you read the story, it's hard to read it any other way. He pretends he's going on. Where's Jesus going? Oh, yeah, I'm going to go down there. I'm going, yeah, I'm a traveler. I'm playing the traveler right now. And he just acts like he's going on, and they have to beg him to stay. They, they don't see him still, but they know they don't want him to go. That's what they do know. Their hearts are burning, and they don't know why. And they, say, they urge him strongly, saying, stay with us. Stay with us. Please stay. You know, it wouldn't be enough just to understand their, what's happened as the scripture has been open to them. It wouldn't be enough just to understand. It wouldn't be enough to just have scripture unpacked and the great narrative revealed. And it wouldn't be enough to have been with him and not to have seen him, to have really seen him. John says, or Jesus says this in John. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. He says this to the Pharisees, these experts, they know the Bible. And Jesus says, man, you're missing it. I'm right here. All that is pointing to me, and I'm standing here, and you, you don't see me. You can't see me. But these two, they get their eyes open. It says their eyes were open and they recognized him. And I love that Jesus doesn't stop at just changing their mind, that he encounters them, that they experience being with him. He reveals himself to them. As he breaks the bread, what a beautiful picture. He says, oh, you, you didn't understand when my body was broken. Here, this is my body broken. Look, it's the bread. And suddenly they see him. And Mary in the garden, she's there and Jesus calls her name, Mary. And suddenly she recognizes him. Peter, he's out there with the nets brimming with fish. And then he knows him. It's Jesus on the shore and he dives into the water. And he's, he's just swimming for shore like a madman. As Thomas touches the hands and Jesus is, touch the holes in his hands, Thomas says, now I believe. By touching him. Jesus draws near to Thomas. He says, it's okay. Here I am. Go ahead. You and I weren't meant to merely read about Jesus or just to follow a system that Jesus started. And we're not meant to just remember great things Jesus did back in the day. We were meant to enjoy him forever. We're meant to encounter him, to experience him, and to enjoy him forever. Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, who sits at the right hand. Jesus, who in love came to reconcile us to the Father. 
conquering death. And Jesus, who rose from the dead and sends his spirit to come and live in us, to give us power and boldness. So these people, their first response, Jesus is there. <gasps> it's Jesus. Boom, and he's gone. And their first response is this. <gasps> That's why my heart was burning. That's why I felt that passion when I was walking. And everything he said, just, that's what it was. And they recognize the burning in their hearts. It's the first thing that they do. The second thing they do is they get up and they run all the way back to Jerusalem to tell someone about it. Seven miles in the dark. Right? They were going into this, wherever they were, into the inn or whatever it was. And they're saying, no, Jesus, don't go on. Stay here. It's so late. And now Jesus was there, and now he's gone, and it's not too late to run back to Jerusalem and to tell everyone what happened, what we saw, what we experienced. And there, the next part of the chapter is Jesus commissions them. He appears to all of them there. As these people, these two people are there, and they're telling their story, Jesus suddenly appears, and then he commissions them that they are to go in the power of the Spirit. Verse 48 and 49 of that chapter, Luke 24, says, You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And after the spirit comes and fills these people, they're unstoppable. They're unstoppable. They will go to imprisonment. They will go to death. They will go to torture. Whatever's worse, they will experience it and endure it. And the people who are doing this to them say, just say he's not alive. Just say he's dead and we'll let you go. And the, all these people, all these disciples, all these followers will say, no. I can't. You'll have to kill me. We'll torture you. You'll have to torture me because I saw him alive. And I can't go back on that claim. So how do we move from bystanders to witnesses? How does that same passion, how does that same desire well up within us? And as I thought about it, I thought, usually I think we'd say, try harder. Or get over our cultural sensitivity to sharing about Jesus. Don't be ashamed. If you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. And as I thought about it more, I thought, I don't know if that's the way to become a witness. I think maybe the first thing we could do is to pray. Pray that Jesus would draw near to us as we draw near to him. It says in James, come near to God and he will come near to you. So pray as you uh, set yourself to draw near to God, pray that he would draw near to you and he will. Secondly, I'd say notice, be aware how your perspective changes as he illuminates the word. As you start to get into the word and things come alive, notice that. Notice the transformation, the reorientation of your perspective. Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And thirdly, I'd say notice, be aware of how your heart burns within you as you encounter Jesus, as you experience him. Notice the love that grows in your heart as your affections get set on Jesus, as you come to love him more and more, and your heart burns. Notice that. That's a transformation. Song of Songs says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. And that's the burning they experience. They love him. And lastly, I'd say, so we pray, we draw near to him, he's drawing near to us, we experience 
our mind, our reorientation, the scripture comes alive in that process. And then as we experience Jesus, the person of Jesus, we come to love him more. And the fourthly, we would respond to him in trust. We would begin to surrender more, trust him more, put our faith in him, and invite his spirit to come and give us power and boldness. And then I think we become witnesses. We just do. This, our reaction is to run back and start telling people. Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So when we see Jesus, clearly everything changes. It's the journey of faith is that we would see him more and more clearly. We would experience him more and more, and we would become more like him in that process. We see Jesus draw near. He draws near in the midst of doubt and disappointment. He walks with us. And he draws near to the brokenhearted in the midst of doubt and struggle and pain and whatever you're going through. And Jesus reorients us. He changes our perspective so we can see more like he sees what he's doing. And then hopefully we're always being reoriented to our new perspective of events, whatever's happening. And seeing Jesus changes us. An encounter with Jesus will change us every time. Our desire to be witnesses comes from the power and ability of the Holy Spirit filling us to go out and to proclaim what's happened to us, this incredible thing. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you rose from the dead, that you you took what was a, a horrific story, a tragic story, uh, a story that would cause anyone to be downcast. A story that seemed like hope was lost. And you took that dark, horrible moment and you transformed it into our greatest celebration. That you took upon you the, our sin and you washed it and you cleansed us. And then you didn't stay dead, you rose from the dead. And as we experience you, as you draw near to us in whatever place we're in, whatever part of the journey we're in, that you draw near to us and you change how we see things. You help us to see from your perspective what you're doing. And God, that in that process too, that, um, that Jesus, you change us. We're not the same day to day. We're becoming something new. And we thank you that your journey with us is a journey of change and transformation. God, we say we love you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. Amen.